This broadcast is part of the IC Robots Radio Network. Visit icrobots.com for this and many other nerd slash nostalgia related podcasts. You won't be sorry for long. Report recorded live on Jupiter's third largest moon, Callisto. He listens more than he talks, and he tell less than he know. Cause the game is to be solved, not told. That's how it go. He's your host, Icy Robots. Greetings, Earth people. I'm from Jupiter. It is me again, Icy Robots. I'm not a hero, but I do sacrifice a bit of my week each and every week to make your week a bit less week. And this week is gonna get so much less week because we got. We got a fun show ahead of us. We're going to talk about Blade Runner. We're going to talk about the Universal Monsters. We're going to talk about, like, so many cool, fun things that, like, your life is sure to be a lot better. But with all that said, let's get going on into the show. This is the Toys R Us Report, and we'll make you famous. Taking over the earth while still kicking in Uranus. That much, that much is very much true. If you mess with us, we'll make you famous. Taking over the Earth while still kicking in Uranus. Well, we're actually still kicking it on Callisto, the third largest moon of Jupiter. But nevertheless, the thought is, the thought is very similar. So I am back up on the moon base right now. The the moon wrap problem has kind of, kind of been worked out. There was like a combined effort between Iceberg, Emily, and the and the miners, they had a giant fight, and well, most of the moon rats fell, but you can never really be done with an infestation like that. It's always possible to uh, have these things pop up again. It's like a whack-a-mole. You push one down, another one another one pops right back up, but right now, we have, we have another more pressing concern. It is an annual event it is well let me open up this door i'm in the recording booth it's a soundproof booth but let me pop open this door and let you listen to like what the uh what the bass sounds like right now as we speak yeah that is that is what that sounds like it's it's zombies. We are presently surrounded by a, uh, a zombie horde. Let me go back into the. Uh, let me go back into the booth. That's that's an ugly sound. Let me let me hit you to this. It happens. It happens every year. There are there are Jupiter moon zombies, and I I have no idea of their origin. Nobody does. They they just they walk forward and they go around the entirety of the moon. It takes them it takes them roughly a year to make it. So around this time every every October, the the Jupiter moon zombies come back and the way that we deal with this for the most part is that we kind of lay low. It seems as if the zombies they they find things by sound and if they hear us they they sort of claw at the doors and they they rattle the shutters and they do stuff before eventually getting like bored and just going back about their zombie business. I've looked out the window at them when they go by and they are they're aliens. They're alien zombies. They are, well, they're gray, but that pallor could just be due to the fact that they are, they're long dead, and they have, they have ante- antennas coming out of their head, like, like Andorians on Star Trek, those blue creatures with the antennas. They have that, and they just, they just walk by, and they moan. There are, there are thousands of them. There are so many, and this happens to us every October. They just, they walk right by and sometimes they, they slow down and look in the windows and stuff. They kind of, 
scratch at the doors and do all that kind of stuff that you expect zombies to do. They, for the most part, they don't, they don't pose a threat because the, the station is built, you know, to sustain life. It has life support and you can't just, you can't just pull at the doors and come in or anything. So it's mostly safe. I, I never know how to handle this because I'm in the booth. I can't hear them. But if you go back out there, it is, it is super loud. Check it out. I'm going to open the door again. It is, see, do you hear that? It's, it's really unsettling. And this goes on for a while. It takes like a good three to four days for the entire horde to go by. They aren't, they're not super fast by any means. And they kind of trudge by just slowly leaving that horrible sound. And it's, it's hard to sleep, man. It's hard to work. It's really, it's just, it, I don't know, unsettling is the only word I can think of to to define it. All right, let me, let me close the door back in the booth. That sound, man, it, you can't, you can't sleep with that going on. I wonder, I have wondered this. How do they make noise in the, in the vacuum of a space? There isn't an atmosphere out there, so I don't know how the sound travels, but it does. What do you want me to say? It's just... The fact of the matter, I don't know how to handle them. If I were a zombie, I would want somebody to take me out. I don't want to, I wouldn't want to hurt anybody else. I wouldn't want to kill somebody. I wouldn't want to turn somebody into a zombie. So I would, I would much rather be shown mercy by getting a, uh, getting a bullet in the dome rather than be a zombie. But I don't know, I don't know what they think. Maybe they like being zombies. Once you turn into one, maybe, maybe you enjoy it. Maybe you're happy that you're not dead and it's better to be a uh, Jupiter moon zombie than it is to be a uh, Jupiter moon corpse. I don't know. Iceberg thinks that we should just point the wave motion gun at them and let loose, but I don't feel entirely right doing that because they just, they just walk by and then they're gone. And as so far, nobody's been hurt and maybe I'm wrong and maybe we should fire the wave motion gun at them and take them out before somebody does get hurt. Maybe I'm being naive. Maybe I'm just like being too much of a wuss and I just don't want to do it. I don't know. If you have any thoughts on this matter, please by all means, hit me up on uh, Twitter at IcyRobots. Hit that uh, hashtag JupiterMoonZombie and just yay or nay. Should we fire the wave motion gun at him? Should we let him have it? Should we let uh, Should we let Emily go up in the Callisto flyer and just blah, 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 take him out? I don't know. Just let me know what you think. Do you hear that? I can still hear those, those dang moon rats, man. I feel like this is going to be... This is going to be plaguing us for the longest time. We got zombies. We got rats. This place is becoming more of a rundown shack like every single week. How would you feel if you were a zombie? If you were a zombie, would you want one of your friends to show you mercy? Or would you rather just go on and be a zombie? We don't know what goes on in the mind of a zombie. Maybe zombies are, like, really happy being zombies. They have these, like, real base needs, you know. They need to eat. They need to walk. They need to moan. They need to do whatever they do. And maybe they're just, like, really happy doing that. But maybe they moan because they're unhappy. I don't know. What do you think? Hit me up on Twitter at ICRobots. I-S-E-E-R-O-B-O-T-S. Hashtag Jupiter Moon Zombies. Let's, let's do some talking about this. I'm going to... I'm going to end this segment right now. Let's uh, let's move forward into At The Movies, where we're going to talk about a movie I saw. It is uh, another joint starring the uh, super charismatic baby goose. It is known as Blade Runner. In a moment, At The Movies, without Ebert, Siskel, or even that dude Roper. But you got Icy Robot, so that's something, right? You think I have nothing to offer but pain? You do not know what pain is yet. Pain reminds you the joy you felt was real. Yes, I know what's real. We 
Blade Runner 2049. Hit it R. Experience it in IMAX. So, as you guys know, the uh, the big fire broke out last week. I had a whole episode about the fire. I had uh, two episodes, actually, about the fire. It was and still is a gigantic deal. The fire broke out Sunday night. And on the day after, on the Monday, the wife and I had the plan that we were just going to get up, go to the dig for a little bit, poke about, buy some stuff, do whatever. And then we were going to go see Blade Runner. So we weren't able to do that, of course, because Santa Rosa was ablaze in deadly flames. And we had to push it off for like an entire week. And I kept saying in my head, all I want to do is see Blade Runner. All I want to do is see Blade Runner for the entire week of the flame. Blade Runner was like, it was like this symbol of normalcy. It was like, once I saw Blade Runner, life would be back to normal. And I just kept thinking how weird it was that I hadn't seen Blade Runner. Like the world is ablaze on all sides. And all I can think is I haven't seen, I haven't seen Blade Runner yet. Well, I finally got the chance to see Blade Runner 2049, which stars the baby goose himself, Ryan Gosling and Harrison Ford. Mackenzie Davis from Halt and Catch Fire is in it. And there are other dudes like Dave Bautista is in it. Basically, this movie picks up 30 years after the, after the previous Blade Runner. The story is... It's a bit confusing. It took me a while to kind of piece it all together. It's the sort of movie that doesn't really, like, beat you over the head with the plot line. You have to just watch it and figure it out for yourself. What's going on is there is some sort of a miracle in the world of replicants. And Baby Goose is investigating it on his own. And this leads him to have to search out Deckard, Harrison Ford. When... When Blade Runner came out initially, I didn't see it. I didn't I didn't know what a Blade Runner was. I remember thinking that, so I didn't I didn't see it. And uh when I eventually when I eventually caught up with it on VHS, I liked it. I thought it was cool, but it didn't speak to me in the way that this movie speaks to a lot of people. To a lot of people, this movie is the end all be all, and I get it. It was a beautiful film. It looked amazing. It set the standard for what things would look like, and it set the path for what things would look like in the movies for a while after that. But it didn't speak to me directly, and I I feel the same way about the sequel. Blade Runner 2049 is one of the best-looking movies I've ever seen in my life. It was directed by uh, Denis Villeneuve. I believe I'm completely mispronouncing that, but he is... He is the chap who did The Arrival from last year with Amy Adams, the movie about aliens coming to Earth. I thought that movie was, I thought that movie was fantastic. Definitely one of the best that came out. And he, uh, he elevated his game from that in Blade Runner. The movie is just, it's just amazing looking. The world is desolate. It's bleak. It's bombed out. It's horrible. And he does a really great job of bringing that to life. The world is it's bad, man. It's bleak. It's like Santa Rosa. Not that bad, but it's pretty bad. And some of the tech that he introduces in this is amazing. Um, Baby Goose has a holographic girlfriend, and the technology for that is great. Some of the things I saw in this movie were just, just so terrific. But I have a lot of knocks on the movie. It's it's very long. It's like two hours and 45 minutes. And when you take in the time of the trailers and just all that stuff, you're you're sitting down for three hours straight. And the movie is, it's very slow. It's a lot like the perfect sequel of Blade Runner. If you can imagine the perfect sequel to the original Blade Runner, this would be it. They elevated the Blade Runner game. But the problem with Blade Runner to me was... It was just very slow moving, and I don't think it's a bad movie by any stretch, but it wasn't one of my favorites. And this is the same way. You're going to see so many amazing things. You're going to see a real terrific, real, real hard sci-fi movie, but it moves really, really slow. There's a lot of just, like, people looking at each other and Baby Goose looking at things and things happening like this and this happening like that. And it was... It was probably a good hour and a half into the movie before anything even slightly action-oriented take place. Sure, it, it starts off with a fight scene, I'll say that. But then from that point forward, it's a long time before anything 
even remotely action-oriented happens. And I understand it's not that kind of movie. I get it. But it was just... Everything unfolded so slowly. Let's uh, let's take a look at the Rotten Tomatoes for for this bad boy. It is presently at 81 with the audience and 88 with the critics. People do like it so far. I think that I think that's accurate. It's rated R. It is uh, it pulled in 32 million so far, which is not even not even the budget, which is that's pretty harsh. The movie the movie bombed, I suppose, from what I'm hearing, and that's uh. That's too bad, because it is, it's definitely worth checking out. It's for sure worth checking out. I just, I can't give it the the highest recommendation. I will say this. When I was watching it, I'm thinking, I don't have any idea what's going on. And not, I didn't completely not understand what was going on, but it doesn't beat you over the head with the plot. You really gotta, you gotta suss it out for yourself. And when it was over... I was talking uh, to 2.0, my my lovely daughter, about this. She went and saw it the day before with her friends. Some of her friends got together and they they wanted to put the they wanted to put the fire out of their minds for a while. So they all went to see Blade Runner, and she's never seen the first Blade Runner. She has no idea. She likes Ryan Gosling. Everybody likes Ryan Gosling, and she she found it massively confusing. But then the next day, her and I are talking about it, and together, you know, we kind of. We kind of worked it out between us. You know, we talked about things. We talked about what we saw. And in doing that, I actually enjoyed it a lot more than when I was watching it. It um, A lot of it will unfold later in your mind, if that makes sense. And that is a good thing, man. It's good to see a movie and have it be with you the next day. But it's also interesting to see a movie where the post-movie experience may be better than the movie itself. That's... It's new to me, but man, I um, I would recommend this movie. I would recommend that you go see it. If you have an interest at all in Blade Runner or any kind of like sci-fi interest, it is, it's definitely worth uh, checking out. But be aware, you're going to be there for a while and a lot of uh, slow moving things are going to happen and you are going to, you might want to doze off a bit. I um, did get a bit dozy. We went to see it at the theater with the nice reclining chairs and I have to admit, I got a bit dozy and... That doesn't usually happen to me, but it did happen. It did happen this time. So, on the good old-fashioned Source Magazine mic meter with a five-mic classic being the best you can do and one being an all-time dud, I am going to... I am going to give Blade Runner 2049 three mics. Solid three mics. Three mics. is the projectionist from the Saturday Frights podcast. You are listening to the Toys R Us report. <laughs> Here is Scrubs. Something to help you gut me. Halloween spirit. The top five ranking of the Universal Monsters. Ah, yes. Here we are. The top five ranking of the Universal Monsters. The Universal Monsters are, of course, the famous monstrous archetypes. You know, you got werewolves and Draculas and Frankensteins and invisible dudes and all sorts. All sorts of classic monsters. Now, before we dig too deep into this, I want to point out I am not a Universal Monster expert. I... Wish that I had the knowledge of Vic Sage and the projectionist. I wish that I had the knowledge of many other people out there who are, you know, they're just experts on this stuff. I am going to be ranking them as sort of archetypes. That's actually the second time I've used that word, and I apologize, but that is what we are going to be getting. I will not so much be rating the individual performances of the actors in the movies or the movies themselves. We're just going to... We're going to be talking about who's a cooler monster. Maybe I should have called this the uh, coolest monster list. I actually considered that, but then I I started thinking that. With that, you're going to start getting into, like, Chitulu and all these other, you know, Lovecraftian beasts and, you know, uh, like, voodoo zombies and just all sorts of stuff. I decided I'm going to, I'm going to stick it with the main guys, the main dudes, you know, your big time A-list monsters, the ones that get, the ones that get put on Halloween decorations, if you know what I mean. So, 
with all that said, all that explained, let's, uh, oh man, let's move into the list. Number five. There's the monster running free. He's shunned by society. Not as heartless as he'd seem. Wants a girl who doesn't scream. He survived the mill they lit. And they're roasting on a spit. After all his homicide, he's still waiting for a bride. Number five on my list is The Bride of Frankenstein. It may have been hard to tell who I was talking about based on that clip there, but um, I like to use uh, bits from the trailers or from commercials, and they did trailers all together differently back in the day. Nowadays, you can always count on them saying during a movie commercial or a trailer, they'll, they'll say the name of the movie, they'll say... The Bride of Frankenstein, or something like that. In the uh, in the day, they didn't do that as much, so I had to uh, you know I had to poke around and find the uh, best available clips that I found. And that was from uh, the son of Spanguli, my uh, my dude from back in Illinois. He was doing a bit of a song about the Bride of Frankenstein. The Bride of Frankenstein is a 1935 American monster film. It is the first sequel to 1931's hit Frankenstein. It stars Boris Karloff, of course, as Frankenstein, and Elsa Lanchester. In the du- dual role, rather, of Mary Shelley and The Bride. I am a big fan of female versions of characters. We all know this. I love Batgirl. I love Supergirl. I love all those all those female ver- versions. Charlotte Flair, you know, just all that stuff. Um, so when I was younger and I saw a female version of Frankenstein, I was immediately smitten. I like the sparse design of the character. She's just wearing a uh, a white smock. You know, she's being reanimated in this white smock, but that hair, that straight up and down beehive hair with the uh, swirls of white, it's just, it is fantastic. I like the, uh, I like the squiggle on the side of her hair. I think that it acts as a logo, so I I appreciate that aspect of the design. I like it when there's something so iconic about a character that you could separate it from the from the actual design and it could stand as a symbol of that character. And that squiggly uh hair down the side definitely does. I have a I have a couple Bride of Frankenstein toys. I have a like an eight inch Mego like version of her that I picked up on clearance. Uh, at Toys R Us after last Halloween, and I have a, I have a mini mate. Oh, I also have a reaction figure of her. So I think she's well represented. I wouldn't mind having like a uh, cardboard cutout. I have cardboard cutouts of Frankenstein, and I have one of Dracula. I wouldn't mind having one of her to put in the middle. I. I like the way she looks, man. I think it's cool. It's interesting to think back that this movie was actually made in 1935. It's fascinating to think that uh, Frankenstein was made in 1931 and that the movies, they still resonate today. The characters still look dope today. They're still hanging all over our house during Halloween today. It's a sign of excellent work, I guess. Um, that's probably that's probably about it for The Bride of Frankenstein. Let's move into who is the number four of all the times. Number four. Frankenstein, where is it? Where is it? Ah! What, you fool? Get away with that torch. Frankenstein is, of course, the green-faced dude in the sports coat with the with the bolt in his neck that we all know and love. Frankie the monster, the Frankenstein's monster. This dude has any number of names. This is a controversial pick. When I was talking to uh, my good pal Kevin Zerby that I do the PP, the Pretentious Podcast with, I mentioned to him that I was doing this list, that this was going to be coming out over the Halloween season. And he said, well, of course, number one is Frankenstein. And I didn't say anything to give away what I was thinking and what direction I was going at the time. But I did know that Frankenstein wasn't number one. There are certain aspects that keep him where he is, and I knew that, I knew there might be some controversy in this, but what are you going to do, man? You can't, you can't make an omelet without breaking some eggs when you make a top five list. Some people are going to disagree, and Kevin Zerby, as much as I appreciate hanging out with you, I appreciate talking to you, I appreciate doing the show, as far as Frankenstein being the number one monster, you're just, uh, a bit off. You're showing a, uh, poor judgment, as you do in many other aspects of your life, but I won't bring those up here on the, on the show right now. The... The Frankenstein monster movie, the original was uh, Universal Features. It came out in 1931. It was directed by James Whale and it was adapted from a play by Peggy 
Webling. The story is, of course, about a scientist and his assistant who dig up a bunch of bodies in hope of uh, making an all-new one out of it. But they mistakenly put a murderer's brain inside, and Frankenstein goes... He goes a buck wild. Frankenstein was, of course, played by the by the great Boris Karloff. Frankenstein is the dude that jumped it all off for the Universal Monsters franchise. At the time of its release, Universal Studios was $2 million in debt. And that's like, that's a crazy amount because that's 1920s money, man. That's like the equivalent of like $100 billion in our money, I think. That's just, that's just me calculating off the top of my head, don't I? Don't hold me to that, but within days of releasing the movie Frankenstein, it did so well at the box office that the the studio was now seven hundred thousand dollars in the uh, in the black, which is the good color. Sometimes I get confused between the red and the black. I go, which is like which is the good one? When you're in the red, does that mean you're ahead? Or when you're in the black, does it uh, mean you're in the head? But then I I kind of put some thought into it and I go, mm, red's not really like red's the color of danger. When you see red, it's like peligro, man, danger, and uh, you know, so that can't be when you're ahead. It has to be, it has to be the black. I can imagine, like, you're doing the books, and, you know, you draw your debts in, like, a little red pen, and then when you draw your profits, you draw it in a black pen. I don't know, that's, this is all irrelevant. I do enjoy Frankenstein. I think that, I think that he looks awesome. The bolts in the neck are just terrific. I imagine them, uh, being screwed in to make sure to, uh, hold his head in place. I <laughs> think that that is, that's absolutely terrific. I like how they, you know, they have those big lug nuts on the outside. I enjoy his, uh, his sports coat. Our boy's a dapper dresser, and he has those giant monstrous boots for stomping upon villagers. He is a great, great looking character. I also think that, uh, I think it's cool that he's green. As we know, green was the number one rated color of all time in space, so, you know, I'm a fan of that. I wonder why dude is green. I'm not a, uh, I'm not an expert in what happens to us after after we die, what happens to our physical forms after we pass away, but I don't know if there's a period in which you turn green. Uh, there may be. I've, I've seen in movies, like, people turn gray, so maybe... Maybe that's something like that. I don't know. Whatever it is, he's green, and that's that's really cool. You really you stand out from a crowd when you're green colored. What um what kept Frankenstein from making it higher on the list is mainly he doesn't have that, in my opinion, current mainstream appeal. He is of course a historic monster, but in today's world, you don't see people thinking or talking so much about Frankenstein. And this is going to be directly contradicted by my next pick, but I just don't. There needs to be a good Frankenstein movie. I think there was one a couple years ago with Aaron Eckhart. I've always been a fan of that one with uh, Robert De Niro and Sting from back in the day. That movie used to play on cable all the time, and I would always watch it. I don't that's the kind of stuff that you would watch before you had a DVR. I did like it, though. I think if I saw it on TV now, I'd still, I'd still give it at least a bit of a watch. I enjoyed Jennifer Beals in that as, as, as the bride. But there hasn't been a Frankenstein movie that really just sticks to the ribs of our culture in a long time. And just like on Shark Tank, I'm going to say, and for that reason... He's number four. Let's move into the, uh, let's move into the, see who is number three. The prestigious number three. Number three. You know, this movie features the greatest new horror star Universal created in the 1950s, the creature from the Black Lagoon. Although Universal's makeup department head Bud Westmore took credit for the creature's design, supposedly one Millicent Patrick did most of the work. Now get this, the creature's look was based on the Motion Picture Academy's Oscar Award, and its head was based on old 17th century woodcuts of a creature called the Sea Monk. The number three monster, the number three universal monster of all the times is the creature from the Black Lagoon. The creature from the Black Lagoon is my my personal favorite, but I had to I had to push feelings aside. I had to I had to keep it real. I had to present to you the realest, most complete, most perfect list that I could, and that meant I had to uh I had to brush my feelings under the rug and I had to go ahead with number three. 
Creature from the Black Lagoon. The Creature from the Black Lagoon came out in 1954. It was a black and white 3D movie. By this time, the the 3D fad was kind of on the downside, and they were hoping that the they're hoping that this movie might help to revive that, but it didn't. And as a matter of fact, at the time, it turns out that most theaters were playing this in the uh, two-dimensional form, or also known as a uh, flat in the flat form. So most people actually saw this. Flat rather than a three doll. I like that phrase, flat. There are still, like, 3D movies out there, and I cannot remember the last 3D movie that I saw. I just don't go for that. I definitely prefer them in the flat format. The Creature from the Black Lagoon, also known as the Gillman, has what I consider to be the overall best design of any of the universal monsters. Of course, you know, he is a he's a lake creature, an undersea beast, and he has scaly skin and a fin on his head. I think that he is just terrific. If it was offered to me to have a costume based on any of the universal monsters, I would definitely go for the uh creature of the black lagoon. I mean, you know, it's the it's the most ornate, it's the most complex, it's a big rubber suit, whereas if you're going to be Frankenstein, you know, you uh, you paint your face green and wear a sports coat. If you're going to be the uh, Invisible Man, you just wrap your face with, you know, some glasses on or whatever. The creature was played by Ben Chapman when it was on the land, and it was played by Rico Browning underwater. That dude must have been a dope swimmer. One of the things that make this movie so dope is the underwater scenes. They really, they really got in there. They got in tight with the monster, and it's scary to see him swimming around. I also, like, appreciated the fact that Homeboy was from a lagoon or a lake. When when we were younger, we used to go to the swimming lagoon in uh, Santa Rosa here over at Spring Lake a lot. And when I was exceptionally younger, when I was a young wuss, I would always imagine the creature might be in there. Everybody, everybody doesn't live surrounded by the ocean. You know, we're not all in Hawaii. We're not all in Australia. But just about every place has a lake, so I think the idea of booking the creature as a lake monster made him a lot scarier than as if he were, you know, some ocean beast terrorizing the, uh, city of Bodega. I have a few, uh, creature from the Black Lagoon toys. I have a mini-mate. I think I have two. I have one where he is black and white, and then one where he is a glow-in-the-dark color, but I don't know if he, don't know if he glows in the dark. I also have a reaction figure of him, and I have one of the, uh, one of the -the Jack-in-the-box toys. I think that he's cool. I also have a, uh, I have a candle. I have a set of Universal Monster candles that I put on, um, display during Halloween. There is Frankenstein, the Bride, the Werewolf, Dracula, and the Creature, and there were two of each, so I used them to border the top of my television. I think that, I think that that is pretty cool. I enjoy that. Do you guys decorate for Halloween inside the house? I do. I bring out some of my vintagey stuff. I used to have like two or three bins of Halloween stuff, but now it's just down to the one, the one bin of the good stuff. I bring up my mini mates. I have the Universal Monster mini mates, and I bring them out. I bring out my my Universal Monster candles. I bring out my Simpsons treehouse of horror toys. It's fun. I put them all away every year, and I only see them during the uh, Halloween month. It's cool, man. So there we go. Let's uh let's move into what is sure to be the controversial to the. Number two, number one, and to proceed, that is number two, I guess. That made no sense. Number two. Number two. Whoever is beaten by a werewolf and lives becomes a werewolf himself. Oh, don't hand me that. You're just wasting your time. The wolf beat you, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he did. Numero dos. On the list, number two is the Wolfman or the Werewolf. The Wolfman is like, that's his technical name. That is his given name. He is a werewolf by species. The Wolfman came out in 1941. It was written by Kurt Slodmack and produced and directed by George Wagner. The film starred Lon Chaney Jr. in the title role. When it comes down to when it comes down to the big monsters that still have still have cultural weight today. There are, there are actually three. One of them was not a universal monster, that being a zombie, but there are three monsters that still have a great degree of cultural weight, and the wolfman, the werewolf, is 
number two amongst them. At this point, I think it's obvious what number one is, but let's let's talk about the Wolfman. I like the Wolfman. I am a big fan of dogs. I love dogs. I think they're great. I myself would not want to become a Wolfman because when you're a Wolfman, you don't directly like turn into a dog, you turn into like a dog-like beast, and while that, while that could be cool, it's not, it's not something I would want, you seem out of control, whereas in some of the modern interpretations of werewolf tales, you know, like your, like your True Blood, or your Twilight, your things like that, I didn't want it to come up, but at some point, Twilight's gonna come up in this, it's a big monster thing that affects our society even to this day. It had to come up. I apologize, but it did. In those things, you turn into a wolf or a dog, not a wolf man. I think that would be fun. I wouldn't want to be a wolf man. You're too out of control. And the whole gimmick about how you don't turn into one until there is a full moon. While you can see that coming and you can plan ahead, you could, for example, chain yourself up or put yourself in the closet or whatever the the risk of you going out of control once a month is it's pretty scary man the the whole idea that when a uh full moon comes about you transform into a werewolf wolfman didn't actually didn't actually take place until the second film as i understand it in the first film he he was at risk to turn into a werewolf wolfman whenever the whenever the wolf's bane was was in bloom and that could that could be a while man sometimes flowers bloom for like a whole season so the risk was the risk was very high. The The highlight of the movie is the transformation sequence. And even seeing it today, it is amazing. And it was filmed like so many moons ago. The technique in which they did it, if I, if I understand it correctly, was they just, they laid Lon Chaney Jr. down and they went shot per shot, they would, for example, put a few hairs, and then they would shoot it, and then they would put a few more hairs, and they would shoot it, and they would add some fangs, and they would shoot it, so forth and so on, until eventually he was the entire Wolfman, and Lon Chaney has said that the need for him to stay still was so paramount that when they would break for lunch, they would leave him there, and they would use, you know, finishing nails to hold him down. I don't know how they would do that. I don't know if it was in the skin or maybe his clothes, but they they were so certain that they needed him to stay in place that they would they would nail homeboy down to the down to the mat. That is that is dedication for you. The werewolf still the werewolf still resonates with our society today. Whereas many monsters have fallen to the wayside. You don't so much see an invisible man. You don't see a hunchback of Notre Dame unless you're unless you're on Broadway. You don't see the uh the one with the gorilla body and the uh, fishbowl head. You don't see those homeboys, but you do see werewolves. And you also, almost every uh, everywhere you go nowadays, you see some reminder of who is our number one monster of all the time. Let's let's get into that. And here it is, the number one universal monster of all the times, at least in icy robots' mind. This is Dracula, the original terrifying story of a maniac and a man who lived after death, lived on human blood, took the form of a vampire bat and lured innocent girls to a fate truly worse than death. Dracula? Oh, what, what's he done to you, today? Tell me. The number one universal monster of all the times is Dracula. Who else could it be, man? Vampires are the joint. They're still the go-to joint, and we owe it all to the great Bela Lugosi and his 1931 Universal Monster movie, Dracula. Vampires really, really resonate with our culture today. There's something about this character. Maybe it's the maybe it's the sex appeal. Maybe it is the endless life. I don't know, but there are legions of goth kids. There are legions of hot topic shoppers all around the world who would want nothing more than to be a vampire, than to be a Dracula. I've been thinking, instead of calling homeboys vampires, why don't we start calling them Draculas? When I was a kid, we would call the entire species of vampires Draculas. I was, I was like a super lazy Halloween kid. I just didn't go for the Ben Cooper style plastic masks and smocks. I did wear a few of those, but they weren't like, 
they weren't like my jam. I went as Dracula for, I'm going to say, almost the entirety of elementary school. Every year, I would just go as Dracula. I liked the... I liked the plastic fangs. I liked the white face paint. I enjoyed putting that small drip of blood. I loved the tube of blood that you would get at Halloween when you were going to be Dracula. I enjoyed the cape. I thought that that black vinyl cape was just just the dopest thing ever. And when you go out and you see kids with, like, black coats and painted faces and stuff hanging out over at the... Uh, the coffee shop, smoking clove cigarettes, you know vampires and Dracula are still in effect today. And like I said earlier, we owe a lot of this to, to Bella Lugosi. The dude absolutely killed and dominated the role of Dracula. He set out for us what a Dracula looks like. I have a big cutout, a big vintage 1980s, you know, Halloween cutout of Dracula that I use as the centerpiece for my Halloween stuff. It is just... It's terrific. Bella Lugosi really made that role come to life. Up until that point, who knew what a who knew what a vampire looked like? Of course, there was you know the the books and stuff, the ancient tomes about vampires or whatever. But he gave us a living embodiment of what a vampire looks like. The vampire is such an important monster today. I I think that, and this is something I you know I do want to talk about a bit about if. If you were offered the chance to be turned into a vampire and getting the gift of endless life, would you take it? There are downsides. You can't go out during the daytime. You need to drink blood, and none of that is cool. Nobody wants to drink blood. Nobody wants to give up the sun. But on the flippy flip, you get immortality. You get super strength. You get to turn into a bat. You get to do all sorts of cool stuff. All you got to do is stay in during the day, and you gotta, uh, you gotta drink blood. I don't know. I might think about it. I might give it serious thought. There are legions of people who work at night. There are just all sorts of night workers out there, and they probably feel as if they have somewhat fulfilling lives. I would imagine so. I know that, uh, People work, you know, a 6 uh, p.m. to 6 a.m. shift. And while it may be taxing, while you may miss the world, while you may miss the sun, you definitely don't feel as if you would rather be dead than do that. So I don't know how bad it could be. I imagine that I imagine that you do get used to it. And this, the idea of the endless life, the immortality and the super strength, it may be, it may be too much to pass up. If I were offered the chance to turn into a Dracul, I would definitely give it some thought. I would definitely ponder it before turning the offer down. And mm, realistically, I may I may do it. I don't, I'm not saying that I want to be a vampire. I don't want to go around with a, a cape with my arm in front of my face with only my eyes peeking over the top. I definitely don't want that. But I don't know if I would be the tormented vampire. So frequently when you see these vampire characters, they are terribly tormented by the life they lead. They are hesitant to turn other people into a vampire. They're like, you don't want this life that I have. You don't want, you don't want the night. And I'm just like, eh, maybe I wouldn't be so tormented. You know, I could probably get used to it over time. And, you know, if it gets too bad, you can always just go leap into the sun, I guess. Uh, so, I don't know, man. That's, that's about it. There is just about everything I can say about the Universal Monsters. I think it was fun. I think this was a good list. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope... I hope there's some controversy. Why don't you guys, you guys tweet me your list. If you want, you can hit me up and I will gladly take a look at it. I'll give you guys a retweet and everyone can share in each other's list. Uh, that's at IC Robots on Twitter or hit me up on Facebook, facebook.com backslash IC Robots, I-S-E-E Robots, as if I am holding my hand above my eyes and I'm looking off in the distance and I see robots coming. It is exactly like that. So with all that said, let's move into the final segment of the show known as the something, something, pop culture, talk, something, I forget. Please drop by supportthereport.com and consider becoming a show patron for as low as a measly dollar a month. It's the right thing to do. You've made it this far. It's time. The final segment. The Icy Robots Radio Pop Culture slash Toy News slash Other Boring Stuff Informational Moment. 
All right, dudes, this is it. The final segment of the show, the something, 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 pop culture or something or another, where in which I usually I talk about like something I may have bought or like some TV shows or comics or whatever. But man, lately it is it is all fire everything. The fire is all consuming. I've only watched a bit of TV. I barely just saw Blade Runner. I haven't I haven't bought any toys. It's all it's all fire stuff. I have to tell you guys that evacuating from the house has really affected my outlook on things. I realized that when we were running out of here, I'm looking at stuff to grab and I did grab I grabbed some of my best comics, but I I realized I couldn't take everything with me and honestly I didn't care and that has really affected my just like my overall world view. I think that it's fun to collect things, but I just kind of I can see how unimportant it is in the overall scheme of um whether you whether you make it or not, I don't know if this is going to be something that's going to come back to me. I'm sure eventually I'll see something really cool and I'll want it. But right now, I, I see things and I just, um, I just see things. And I hope that, in some ways, I hope that that attitude does stay with me. This is, this has been like a, a very big, very traumatic event. And they say that traumatic events change you that you never go back to being the person you were you're a new person i was i was talking to doug mccoy my good friend pastor doug from crazy creepy cool movies and he told me something that i thought was that i thought was very astute some astute advice he said after the battle comes the blessing and what he means is when you're in the midst of the fire and you're going through the trauma of the fire that's the battle but when you come out the other side there will be some kind of blessings waiting for you. And the blessings may just be that you are a stronger person than you were before. Maybe the blessing is that you have realized some wisdom. Maybe I will just start making changes to the property to make us more fire resistant. You know, maybe maybe I realize now I need to be more prepared. Maybe that's the blessing. Maybe just the blessing is that, uh, you know. I became better friends with my neighbors. I don't know, man. There's any number of things. And the blessing may be that to some small degree, I have broken myself from the uh, collector habit. A lot of us out there, you got to admit, the collector habit is a bit of a collector obsession. And being able to break free from it may have been um, maybe a good thing. Maybe it's not a good thing. I still, I'm still interested in all these things, of course. But I realize things are just things, man. Things are just things. I was... Happy to escape with my beloved dog and my beloved daughter and my wife. And I know this is all, this is all heavy stuff, but this is, uh, this is what life is right now. We went to see Blade Runner, like I said earlier, and to get there, we had to go past a lot of the fire damage. The, the flip side of our town is just absolutely devastated. The, the area around the Kmart that I like to talk about. I have talked about the Kmart and how I enjoy going over there, how it's very, very nostalgic. Like, they haven't had a... They hadn't had a remodel in a long time. So going over there was just like going back into the past, but the Kmart was a victim of the fire, and so was the Mountain Mike's Pizza over there and the old McDonald's. The old McDonald building there used to have a, a train inside of it through the entire middle of the store, there was a train that also had tables. Like, you could sit in the train, and that building is gone. The Kmart, like I said, is gone. The old Wendy's is gone. The Arby's, the other McDonald's over there, the famous Round Barn. We have this old, um, it's, it's a local landmark. It's big, red, round barn on a hill. That's gone. The hotel that was next to it was gone. When we're driving past all this stuff to the movie theater the uh the guards on the side of the road that keep you from falling over the middle guards in a lot of places were completely melted the street signs over there were melted into the ground it was very uh traumatic to go over there and see this i have to admit and i don't i don't want to bring you guys down i don't want this to be the bummer show i'm just I'm just taken aback by all this. It's all very, uh, very traumatic and very real. And I want you guys, I want you guys to know that it's real. I want you to know that it's real. And I want you to take what's happening to me. And I want you to also, I want you guys also to like receive these blessings. I want you to know, be prepared. 
Be prepared with stuff. Get to know your neighbors. Form a phone tree with your neighbors. Look that up. I'm going to do it this week. Form a phone tree so you can all get a hold of each other because they are the people that are closest to you and they're the ones that are most likely going to be getting your back when something goes on. Get to know them. Be prepared. Have a box full of stuff ready to go at a moment to get food, clothes, important papers, a radio, all of that stuff. Don't just... Don't just say you're going to do it. Actually do it because I never thought that anything like this would happen to us. But something like this, in fact, happened to us. And because it happened to me, it could happen to you. I'm not saying that it is going to happen to you. I'm saying if it does happen to you, you will be better off if you are prepared. That's all I want you to get from this. Just be prepared. Get to know people around you. Just be ready at the drop of a dime. Change your uh, smoke detectors. If you haven't checked your smoke detectors, just do that. Just to be on the safe side. Do that for me. Do it for your boy, Icy Robots. So, the upcoming the upcoming schedule of Icy Robots Radio Toys Report releases is going to be a bit different. This is coming out on the, on the 25th of October. We're nearing Halloween with this. And the next week's show is going to be a handbook of the Marvel Universe about the best of all... The Universal Monsters, we're going to learn about Dracula inside of the Marvel Universe. It's a very interesting episode. I learned a lot, a lot, a lot about Dracula. But that is going to come out not on Wednesday. It's going to come out on Halloween itself. It's going to come out on Tuesday the 31st. So be ready for that. That's going to be the... That's going to be the release for this week. And then the week after that, the next Wednesday, which is November 8th, there's going to be another handbook in the Marvel Universe. This one is about the villainous of the upcoming Marvel feature Thor Ragnarok Hela. In the movie, she is played by the greatest actor alive, the great Kate Blanchett. So I did a uh, did a special handbook of the Marvel Universe about that. And then after that, we'll be back with the Toys R Us report. To be honest, I need a couple weeks away, and I'm going to be giving you these episodes that I have pre-recorded. I just need a little bit of time to uh, get my head straight, man. Get my head straight. Get, uh, just put all this in perspective. So, I hope that you can bear with us uh, during that time. But I will definitely be back after that. Raring to go. Back with bells on. So, until then, this is me just saying, happy Halloween, dudes. Happy Halloween. Have a great Halloween season. I hope you enjoyed it. We got three Halloween episodes out this month. So, that is that's all good in the hood, dude. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you stay safe. I hope you take care of each other. And I hope that, uh, Hope y'all have fun until I, I see you soon. So until then, this is me, IC Robot, signing off from the uh, Jupiter Moon Base. This is the Toys R Us Report episode 134. If you don't know, now you know. This has been an IC Robots Radio production. IC Robots Radio is a listener-supported Indeha. If you like what we do and we make your day a little easier, please consider tossing a few bucks our way to help keep the life support running. All money collected goes to help us prepare for future space pirate attacks. Go on over to supportthereport.com for all the details. Thanks and have a great week.